So, Robin, I've uh, been hit with the hosting bill for the website. <laughs> and uh, I also had a couple of uh, emails this week, by complete coincidence, of people saying, when are you making the vacuum cannon again? Oh, that, that's very handy, because I thought you were going to ask me for money there. So. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not going to ask you for money. Uh, I think maybe, having looked at the bill, I will start making vacuum cannons again. How about that? Nothing focuses the mind like a hosting bill. That sounds great. Uh, I, I'm sure that the, the physics community will be delighted. They've no doubt been waiting. Now's your chance, people. Get in quick while the vacuum cannon... Was it Mark III or Mark IV we're on, or, or Model Three or Model Four we're on now? No, it's, it's, it's the Mark 1.2, purely because uh, it's a little bit more expensive. I've done my research, so everything's gone up a bit. So I've added a whole pound to it. It still makes a donation to the podcast. I give my time free, of course. So, yes, thank you very much if you're going to order it. Uh, and if we sell 10, we cover the hosting for a year. Oh, that's, that, that's brilliant. So 10, 10 is our target. If you want some amazing fun in your physics laboratory, get yourself a vacuum cannon. So, Thomas, how, how do they order a vacuum cannon when they want one? Well, I, what I'm going to do is the same as last time. I'll leave orders open till the end of July, and then I will order the parts, so I'm not out of pocket. And then I will make them in August, and I will ship them off either to people's home addresses if they give me that, or to their schools, or if they want me to delay them until the new year, they can just send me an email. Uh, they will be £26 plus postage. Ship all over the world, and we have. Uh, so yeah, get your vacuum cannon. Get your vacuum cannon. Prepared, lovingly prepared with washed hands this time from the website the.physicsteachingpodcast.com/shop. And, and now, without further ado, onto our schedules programming with hashtag sharing and caring master Dr. Peter Edmonds. Welcome to the Physics Teaching Podcast. A podcast for teachers of physics, made by physics teachers. Physics teachers like me, Robin Griffiths, a full-time teacher of physics, all the way from 8 through to 13. And again next year, I'll be teaching year 8 through to 13, so which is nice. And physics teachers like me, Thomas W.P., a part-time, A-level mostly teacher of physics, year 7 as well. And indeed, I'm taking on a full year 7 next year. And the timetable is coming out for us. And also, physics teachers like Dr. Peter Edmonds. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Brilliant to be here. I've got to say, I feel like doing a... When, you know, you remember in Wayne's World when they meet Alice Cooper and they just both drop to their knees and say, we're not worthy. We're not. <laughs> you, you, uh, Dr. Peter Edmonds, at the risk of embarrassing you, you, you are, you've just taken the whole idea of sharing resources to the next level. Uh, hashtag, hashtag sharing is caring. It's, uh, <laughs> it's all about that for sure. So Peter came to our attention because Dave Farmer, friend of the podcast, gave him a big shout out a few weeks ago because he just finished the Herculean task of writing resources for all of GCSE physics and all of A-level physics. I think that's great. Is it AQA board or is it board free? I haven't quite worked that out. It's AQA. Um, a lot of the key stage four resources are kind of what I'd describe as exam board agnostic. And the kind of key stage five stuff is very much uh, AQA kind of based. But I'm sure little bits and pieces could be taken out and used elsewhere. Well, indeed, we do at XLA level and, and I was using some bits and pieces with my year 12s last week uh, from the site. So like I say, thank you so much. Amazing. Glad to, glad to hear it helps. So before before we continue, just we we like we like to be a bit nosy. Tell us a little bit about your school and, and where roughly in the country you are, Peter. So I'm head of physics in a academy in South London, an all girls school. In fact, I've been there for about three years now, and uh, yeah, no, I'm having a having a fantastic time teaching. And how many physics teachers in your school? Um, so there's me, 
uh, I'm the head of physics there. We've got one very experienced um, physics teacher, and we've got two trainee physics teachers. Ooh. So we're pretty well staffed with four. That's uh, that's pretty good going, eh? A state school with four physics teachers. One does never cease. Do you have something like ten thousand people in each year? Uh, no, actually, we're quite a small school. Um, yeah, we're we're really not that big. But uh, yeah, somehow we've managed to uh, kind of accumulate four, four unicorns, as it were, as uh, an entirety of four of us. They'll be so pleased with that description. Um, I was going to ask, actually, uh, so is this your sort of first teaching gig? Have you, have you been a teacher for three years or is it? Um... Yeah, so, I, so I'm, I'm coming towards the end of my RQT year. So I'm not, you know, I'm not massively experienced in kind of a, a, a teaching sense, but I feel um, what described as somewhat, somewhat battle hardened by now. Mm, sure. <laughs> And so through your NQT year and your RQT year, you've been diligently sitting down and collating, because you haven't written all this yourself, have you? You've collated stuff from Bernard Randall's stuff. Well, Key, key Stage 5 is a collation. Sorry to cut you off there. Key Stage 5 is a collation, and I and I should remember to shout out uh, Bernard Rand and Nathan Dwyer um, for uh, for their fantastic existing resources, and that's that's really been brilliant for me. Um, key Stage 4 is pretty much a creation job. It's probably 90% kind of my stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been trainee, NQT, RQT year. It's just been slow accumulation over, over the last three years. So I think we should describe it for the dear listener. So you go to your website, which is science doctor, all one word, dot school dot blog. And there you will find the resources and you click on say energy, like I have in Ketage 4 and you get, it looks like a booklet to me and it's a booklet full of things for them to do and facts about physics and it's not it's not unsubstantial there's 49 pages to the electricity one yeah so there's there's kind of uh the booklets came kind of later on um and in particular uh kind of lockdown kind of precipitated that where i thought a booklet format would be quite useful without sending a million individual kind of worksheets and things but what kind of predated that were the were the worksheets themselves so kind of like one by one i'll go right here's a worksheet on kinetic energy here's one on gravitational potential energy then kind of when i had everything it was just the right i've got all of this stuff let's let's put it in a nice neat format and uh, and go from there it is brilliant. It's a, it's a fabulous resource. And uh, as you say, I mean, I do at Excel is my board, but I found loads and loads of things there that were very easy. There were a couple of things where I had to say, oh, actually, that, not, that bit's not quite relevant, but I just sort of, you know, deleted that section and it was, it was all readily usable. So it's, it's, it's a great resource to have. And am I right in thinking that if people do use it and they would like to provide answers for it, you'd be grateful to receive those? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, in fact, all of the answers um, for Key Stage 4, apart from waves, I don't think I've got waves yet, but all, all of them have been kind of submitted by the physics community, which is really, really wonderful. Uh, my Key Stage 5 stuff is is newer, um, so I absolutely would welcome um, answers. If anybody wants to submit some for those, that would be really useful, um, not only for me, but hopefully for other people as well. Yeah, I got the impression from the website that you get asked for the answers quite a lot, judging by the every page you say, please don't ask me for the answers. <laughs> I I like to think I'm a patient man, but uh, I think yesterday I got asked four times on Twitter for, for answers and I, I, I just I just can't <laughs> I, I, I I don't know. <laughs> yes, you just the patient but it's such a lovely way to um for people to get involved because I mean it, it's Getting a worksheet uh, of this level and this quality uh, just that you can use straight away is such a, a time saver that actually getting through and getting some answers down for that 
you know, it, it's a tiny thing. And if you can possibly, you know, even if it's just taking a picture of it, presumably, and sending it through to you, it's, it's, it's just something that, that you, you can use, right? Absolutely. It's all, uh, it's, all, it's all helpful. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm slowly going through it myself kind of as and when I teach. Um, but yeah, if anybody, uh, if anybody submits um, any answers that they have, that would be really gratefully received resources when i started teaching it's one thing that really really surprised me i thought with all these people teaching common exam syllabuses and there's only sort of three or four versions of each around the country why isn't it that there's more resources available i mean we had the tes website but then there was the issue with charging and all the rest of it but there was no sort of systematic way of of sharing resources and it always puzzled me is that is that where your motivation came from absolutely that's that's where i come from like when i was um when i was training to be a teacher i i I didn't really know what to expect, but um, I I kind of didn't expect there to be as little as there was staring at kind of, you know, folders in the school system with not a whole lot in and, uh, you know, looking at Tez and really seeing some some quite low quality stuff. So, it, yeah, it's kind of what's what's motivated this is just having a bank of of really solid resources which people can change they can tweak adapt to whatever they want um but look it's it, it, it's going to save lots of people time and you know there aren't there aren't a whole load of physics teachers out there so uh the the easier we can make the the job for people and and motivate people to want to stay in the profession and the career the as far as i'm concerned the the better yeah i will put a link to them on the resources.physicsteachingpodcast site that i keep chipping away at because I, I agree with you. I think that there's, there's precious little out there. And that you go to the IOP, there's stuff on there. That you go to the TES, there's stuff on there. But there's what you, what you want is to be able to go, where can I find something useful for key stage three forces? Uh, certainly on your sciencedoctor.school.blog, I can jump into that and get something straight away. Yeah, absolutely. But I think this is that there's... And this was your point, wasn't it, Thomas, trying to basically become the, the collator, if you like, because there are loads of people doing what you're doing, Peter, and sort of saying, well, you know, there's a gap here. We're pro- and providing some really high-quality resources. The IOP stuff's really good. Um, the FET simulations I, I point to as being a fantastic resource. But and, unless you somebody tells you about them, you're never going to know. And if you're in a school with no physics teacher, who's going to tell you? Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. Exactly. And the the point of the resources.physics teaching podcast i mean it's a work in progress but the idea is that if people register there they can vote and comment on the resources because that's just pulled from a variety of places then there's that wonderful stuff from helen reynolds all those simulations which i found very useful um in lockdown but if we get a critical mass on there of people who are sharing because uh, if you register you can you can i think you can how i set it up so you can put your own posts on there if we share and vote and rate things we'll get an idea of what the best things are for the different areas. And everything in there is tagged by key stage and uh, categorized by topic. So um, ideally we'd put each one of your individual documents in there, but I think that's a bit of a a big ask for me at the moment, but I think we can put them on as key stage five physics and um, that people will become part of the index on that site. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, am I right in believing that you've got a lot of, um, uh, kind of like Microsoft Forms and Google Forms um, things In, on there. Indeed, yeah, that came up because I joined a groups.io group. Someone posted on, um, we're going through all the the acronyms here, PTNC uh, news group, someone posted on there. So there's 80 forms that people have created in lockdown for for testing and assessing different things. So I've just linked out to those and you can gain, you can rate and review them, them uh, if you like the quiz. And they're all set up so you can copy them over. 
um, look out of their mind. Every time I look at them the second time, I find typos. But you know, at least you can. At least <laughs> it's a starting point. Um, but yeah, that, that, I mean, the form stuff is excellent. I've, I've moved my tests over to forms in, in lockdown, and it, it has been jolly good. I'll tell you the a bank of resources that I need to send your way, Thomas, is the um, best evidence science teaching stuff that's on the STEM learning website. And I don't know if you've come across this, Peter, but there's some lovely resources in there with some diagnostic questions, really well thought out, um, sort of probing questions to test kids' understanding and some really good stuff in there. That's that's new to me, actually. But uh, yeah, just to kind of reiterate the, the Microsoft and Google Forms things, I, I think I'm part of the, I discovered the the same group on, on Twitter. And yeah, that's really been a, a massive kind of time saver for me because uh, absolutely, I've, I've wanted to kind of move as effectively remotely as, as I can. And that's kind of been a, a new uh, weapon in my arsenal, as it were. I think the Microsoft Forms thing we've talked about before a couple of times, but I do think it has enormous potential and and sort of the idea of online assessment that delivers that instantaneous feedback and gives you a straight away a, a, an idea of what what the class has picked up and what what they perhaps not got you know in real time. That's that's really useful in or out of the classroom. Yeah, you said you've used it in video lessons haven't you because i've i've written branching ones where it's more a teaching tool so if they get the question wrong it takes them to an explanation and a re-question with some of the answers removed Um, but you said can you create them on the fly in a team's video session don't you well there's two things you can do so there's when i'm doing i want a bit of formative assessment as i go along what i'll do is a a short set of five multiple choice questions or something like that that are designed to kind of um or beguile them with a few uh, nearly right answers and and just to test their understanding, make sure they've really, really got hold of something and and perhaps where there's some misconceptions still. Um, Those are pre-prepared. But what I do usually, if if they're working on a task, say, um, I'll I'll on the fly create something in Microsoft Teams where there's a little form where you can say, uh, and you can, it's set up to do this. Uh, You can set a form saying, how are you getting on with question three? You know, nearly finished, just started, halfway through, and they tick whichever option they're working on. So you can kind of get the pace and the lesson up a little bit doing that and just make sure that they know that somebody's watching their progress, so to speak. Things you learn doing the podcast. Goodness. So, Peter, thank you very much for your resources. I recommend them to the listener, sciencedoctor.school.blog. But you've also been teaching long enough that I think you have a lot to add for the quest we have at the moment for Jonathan Shaw, who is (laughs) the lucky recipient of £50,000 from the Wolfson Foundation to kit out a very new physics department. So uh, I think we should uh, chat about this for a bit. What would you have to have in a new physics department, Peter? I'm going to give a very predictable answer here, and I'm going to say visualizers for absolutely everyone. Kit the whole department with visualizers. Just <laughs> absolutely cram them everywhere you can. Uh, they're, they're such an important tool. They're so useful. I've been using them a lot uh, while remote teaching, and uh, I think I'm going to kind of carry it into my practice when we're back kind of live, as it were, again. Okay, so I'm a, a novice visualizer user. I had one for about three months before I left the school, um, and I only used it with the calculator. So give me some top tips for this. Visual- I mean, you're not going to spend 50K on visualizers, so we'll have to ask you for some other, other ideas in a moment, but give me some top tips on using a visualizer. What sort of thing do you do with it? I think what, what visualizers are really powerful for 
uh, is modeling. Um, so you can you can really get down uh, deep into the kind of nitty gritty of an exam question or, uh, you know, in particular, I use it a lot for graphs and things that are kind of I find at least difficult to do on, on the whiteboard um, and just really show the students your thought processes and how you would tackle something um, as well as kind of like other skills like note taking, um, you know, quite commonly at the moment I have, uh, you know, my, my booklets I will teach from remotely and uh, I'll just annotate them as I go along as I'm kind of speaking over them. So, yeah, no, I think they're, I think they're real. I think they're great. Yes, I, I, I do like using them for the uh, exam papers because it, there's something about, I mean, people would say maybe, oh, why not just use the whiteboard? And it's just, it goes back to this sort of cognitive load theory that, that we, we're finding out about almost weekly on the podcast it is this idea that if you're looking at the actual piece of paper that they have in front of them and you're writing on that, the kids seem to, to engage with it so much more. I'm going to challenge that because I will put up the PDF of the exam and I will use whiteboard software and I'll make it transparent. And I am literally writing on the paper in front of them, only it's big and it's on the page. And I will also model drawing a graph. It, it's not, I, I can see the difference there because you're not using a pencil and you're not waving a ruler around and it's clumsy. But for writing on exams, I mean, I spend a significant percentage of my time with an invisible whiteboard writing on a paper. Mm-hmm. No, that's fine. And I think that that's so I, I know exactly what you mean there. And I think it's, it's probably just as good in terms of the, of the output. I'm not, I'm not going to sort of um, uh, argue with that. But I've always I don't know whether it's my school IT setup, but I've always struggled with that sort of on screen writing. Um, and it ends up looking like a, a mixture between sort of Chinese characters and and a three year old <laughs> trying to draw a truck, uh, which is um, <laughs> which makes it problematic. But that's what, that's what your writing looks like when you start teaching. It's probably what Peter's <laughs> looked like three years ago. When you start writing for big for the kids, it, it's, it's carnage. And it's exactly the same process when you start on a whiteboard. You go right back to the start. But my, one of my greatest moments in education was I was writing with the, the smart notebook. They, they have a calligraphic pen and I was writing on the board. And one of the kids put up the hand. Yeah, yeah what is it? What font are you using, sir? (laughs) I could retire at that moment. (laughs) Question of the week. It's similar to when I when I was a trainee. I, I, I really remember this actually. It was my first ever lesson in front of a class, and uh, I was up there in front of the whiteboard, and I was just writing something up there, and I just took a second, just stepped back, and I just thought to myself. This really is illegible. <laughs> I have no idea what I have written. How can I expect the students to know? So it's, yeah, it's something I've had to put a lot of work into. I can feel, I can feel thousands of heads, thousands of physics teachers' heads, because in my head we've got thousands of listeners. Okay, it's tens, but, you know, uh, it, it, thousands of heads nodding at that, just thinking, yes, absolutely. I think we've all been there, haven't we? Just step back from the board and go, that is complete rubbish. <laughs> well, it's not, often what I, it's not often what I write. It's legible, but what I write is rubbish. Uh, famously when I fell off my bike and banged my head was brain damaged undiagnosed when I was writing on the board I I wouldn't finish the words so I the the poor kids they had um, they had the the sentence and they I either didn't finish the words so they instead of momentum they'd have mom or or I'd spell them bizarrely wrong and differently wrong in the same sentence so I'd have momentum spelt with a q and stuff like that (laughs) I think that's a call to close activity isn't it I think that's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so 
Yeah, so so visualizers, yes, I, I can. I, I mean, I would love to have a visualizer, and I think Matt has bought some just before lockdown, actually. But you know, that's not very physicsy, Peter. What physics equipment? And, you know, what do you feel you've used in your three years that has been robust and you would use every year, and you bring out every year, and it's always going to work? What 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 do you recommend? Oh, isn't isn't that the running joke that no physics experiments ever ever work? I I, I don't know. Um, that's a, it's a good question. I mean, from a from a kind of like personal point of view, just multiple kits of of the A level required practicals, um, kind of fuddling about with. I, I don't know if it's this similar for both of you, but muddling about with you know only one kind of like set of, for example, you know standing wave vibration generator stuff or you know, one ripple tank mm. or something like that. Um, I, I, I think getting kind of a really a really strong basis around the, the required practicals is uh, is probably good. Yeah, I agree with you on the <laughs> standing wave one, although... Does that ever work? I don't know. <laughs> it, I don't know. It's, it's absolutely brilliant, the standing wave. Uh, but I tell you, I, I'm famous <laughs> for not reading very much. And uh, I, was, I, I got my department to order me two more generator, vibration generators, so we had four. Uh, so I could have groups of four. And then I was reading through for once. I was actually reading in detail. And they have a really beautiful setup in the um, in the practical handbook of doing it without a vibration generator. You do it with a magnet and you and a metal wire and mm. you put a current through it. And that works absolutely superbly. I, t- I tell you what, I can expand on that um, even more. I've, I've seen it done with an electric toothbrush. Um, yeah. So you yeah just have a string and some masses on the bottom of it. Set the electric toothbrush off. Um, I I tried that actually because our our vibration generator uh, broke this year, and I, I tried the toothbrush. I have to say I couldn't get it to work myself, but I've I've seen it work. It was uh, yeah, it was fantastic. I've seen it work, but the the magnet you know you have tension and you have the length of the wave. It works perfectly. You get fantastic results, and you can weigh the the get the mass per unit length of the wire. It's awesome. Yeah, I think I saw Bernard Rand doing the um the the toothbrush was did you get that from him or did you give that to him <laughs> i think i think it was someone from the iop actually that oh, i picked right. that off from I, I i forget who exactly but yeah yeah so they got, the, the folks there have got some great ones that they, they've picked up over time and uh, and it's, it's that's why it's always worth attending an iop event and particularly during lockdown where they're all kind of virtual and they effectively have no numbers limit you can pile in so get a look get across to talk physics to pick up a bit of iop training something i want to know is power packs i think the, the most essential thing is to have power packs that work for 20 years and we bought some and they've lasted two mm. what i mean the power pack, the best power packs i've had were unbranded and they were clearly have been at the school since 1950 where where what brands do people buy nowadays that are gonna last do, do you have do you have any suggestions i i don't know the brand that i use um I'm not. I'm not so familiar with. I kind of leave the ordering things up to our techs, but um, you know, I imagine that the standard kind of places we order things from are Philip Harris and places like that. But um, yeah. I've got to say, I, I. I mean, I used to use some fantastic power packs from. Um, I think it was RS Components back when I was uh, in uh, kind of at university during my PhD, and the, the, they were just fantastic. They were way better than kind of the ones we used to to teach with. But I suspect they're. Uh, a little bit on the on the pricey side to to mm. let loose with the um, students. That's the problem, isn't it? Because the a power pack is you know a good power. Pack. It's like going back to last week, isn't it? You spend the most you can afford on things. You know, you're probably better to buy ten really good power packs than twenty cheap ones. I would say. 
It's just working out what the good ones are. It is difficult. I suppose I'd, I'd say that the reason you, yours have gone after two years is because they're not serviceable, so nobody can actually open them up to fix them. Uh, and perhaps that's something I'd look for in a power pack, or to, to be honest, in any piece of kit, is it fixable? Because I know that the ones that you've had, still got going from 1950 will have probably been fixed about a dozen times in the intervening years, uh, and that's why they're still going. So if it's not fixable, I, I'd be very dubious about it. It's a good question to ask, isn't it? I think, I think that's a very good point, and I think you could extend that to kind of like wider life as well, right? If you, you know, you used to be able to fix TVs and stuff, try doing that with a, um, with a, you know, LCD panel or something like that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not possible, really. The one I wanted to ask, because it's always very difficult, because I've had some mileage in getting some kit that's been quite cheap and quite effective of late, uh, and the one I'd, I'd highlight with that was lasers because they make the optics mm. experiments at, at A-level way, way better. And with a couple lasers, pointers that cost a couple of quid, uh, a couple of clamp stands and some single and double slits, they, they've got some great resources for investigating and Lambda equals D-Sine Theta and things like that. Would, would you invest in cheap stuff and lots of it, or what would be the...? L- lasers, is, uh, lasers is my jam, as it were. That's, that's what I used... Um... During my PhD, um, kind of cooling cooling atoms and molecules down to, to optical temperatures, I'd, I'd fully endorse that. I, I find the field fascinating. Um, I mean, I, I can add on that a little bit. This is not something I've encountered as a teacher, and it's certainly A, ferociously expensive, and B, very advanced. Um, but there, there used to be this piece of kit, which I saw in kind of university outreach and things like that, it's called a mini mot, which is um, short for a mini magneto optical trap, which is um, a device you kind of use to to cool down atoms to incredibly cold temperatures. Um, gee, I think they cost about ten grand. They're not cheap, but um, you know that that would really be a, an, an incredible thing for deepening understanding in uh, in kind of quantum physics. And uh, if, if you were the teacher, yeah, <laughs> not if I were the teacher, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it's on the A level. Spe- I think, either, I think they but, come with instruction. Agreed, it isn't. But uh, you know, for uh, for for really really top students, I think it's the kind of thing you could potentially go I'm over. I'm not sure. I love it. I'm not sure Jonathan's looking to spend a fifth of his budget <laughs> on that. I love it. That's I think you're getting. Point. I think you're getting into the spirit. This is other people's money. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting. I think yeah, great, and a free monkey for everyone in the faculty. That's another <laughs> thing. <I'd> do. <laughs> but I do agree lots of lasers and lots of slits i mean we've got one double slit it's just you know you, you need to have more we, we've kind of made some and they're not great we're using fuse wire and cardboard but um yeah i mean our lasers i bought a few pen lasers off ebay for a pound each a violet a green and a, a red obviously they are brilliant and i think if i had pluggable inable robust lasers of different colors and multiple double slits and gratings that would be something i'd really like to have in the department because there's a lot you can do with it mm. i like how uh i like how i've come at it with uh here's ten thousand pounds to spend and you're like here's some lasers for one pound <laughs> i like our uh i like our different approaches here <laughs> well I, I suppose somewhere in the middle also i was just thinking about this when we were talking and and you think you were saying about the different colored uh lasers there thomas and i thought yeah, and of course, you'd want lenses and prisms to go with that, wouldn't you? And those are quite expensive pieces of kit, aren't they? But you do need them in, in, in a physics uh, department, I think. What, what about you guys? I love that idea. It was one of my favourite things to do this year, actually, was um, 
build a refracting telescope um, out of uh, some some lenses that we had around, and you know that w- that was really perfect for for demonstrating the uh, kind of astrophysics AQA topic. And uh, you know we looked at I've I've got quite a nice classroom that kind of overlooks the London London skyline, and uh, you know just really having the discussion about right why is why is the skyline upside down right why why do you see um, some slightly why do you see some color distortion at the end of your at the at the kind of edges of your image so it was yeah i fully agree it was a really interesting interesting thing to to show the students i love teaching optics i love teaching light and i think i, I agree with you. we we actually have got some very good and seemingly robust laser ray boxes that came in little metal cases they're really really tactile so you open the case and there's a foam insert and there's all the different shapes of lens with a laser ray box and the power pack that's actually really really good they they weren't that expensive either I have to dig out where they're from because that is exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's, it's exactly the sort of thing. A, a decent optic setup um, with with a decent range of lenses of different powers, uh, diverging, converging, and perhaps even some uh, uh, convex and concave mirrors as well to to demonstrate the, the similarities and differences. And again, I think once they've learnt lenses, to then present them with the mirrors and ask them what's going on there is a really great way of testing their understanding. So that that would be, I think, on my list. And I'll tell you something I've never had that's, that goes with lenses is a means of holding them. It's always you just get a raw lens. <laughs> you think, yes. How are the kids supposed to hold want a, some official lens holder that's actually going to hold it in a meaningful way without dropping it on the floor and chipping the edge so the kids can move it around without covering it up? There must be that. That must exist. But I think schools just don't buy it because the, the cost is there. Well, they can just hold it. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I think I I did my refracting telescope on the on the cheap. I had some really basic kind of it was just like a little kind of like square kind of metal bracket that the lens slotted into and then all I did was I just put blue tack on the bottom of the bracket just put it in different positions on the uh, on the ruler move it so you get the right distance in between the lenses and yeah it worked out really nicely. Yeah, that's nice. I've got an image in my head of you holding a meter ruler with lenses blue tacked to it. Is that right? Uh, it's not, it wasn't a meter ruler. It was just a thirty centimeter ruler, actually. So oh. I think um, I think I had something like you know a, a, a five centimeter focal length lens and maybe like a twenty centimeter focal length lens. So you put them what twenty five centimeters apart, and then you know works perfectly with a magnification of of four. And yeah, no, that beautiful worked nicely. It's beautiful that you can just make a telescope with a bit of blue tack and a couple of lenses. Lovely. So 50k, 50k. How would you spend 50k? I think we should tweet about that, Robin. Get the dear listener to chip in with their ideas so they can tweet us at PhysicsTP. And of course, there's contact forms on the website as well. Yes, and, and there's there's two for the price of one on last season's podcasts. <laughs> Due to technical difficulties beyond our control. <laughs> beyond my laziness i could go in and fix them all um but yeah so do share the ideas with us about what the best kit you can buy because uh, jonathan needs that advice he's a he's a rqt as well yeah absolutely and it's it's a lovely thing to do spending other people's money i've really enjoyed this thinking in my head oh yeah what could he spend the money on so yeah get get in on that and yeah what he wants to do right he wants to buy one of these and i think a mini mart is definitely taking the prize for the for the best idea so far <laughs> but i think you should whack your refracting telescope 
on uh, your reflecting telescope onto eBay for ten thousand, and then you can buy a mini mart. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think someone would be getting the raw end of the deal if they were paying ten thousand pounds for one of my telescopes. <laughs> well, I mean, if I was spending other people's money, I'd buy a, a very nice bike to go into the department to be used to teach teach physics and i would borrow it at the weekends yes i think a bicycle is really good because we've talked about that friends of the podcast james de winter and uh, alan denton were talking about how there is a huge amount of physics in bicycles so it sounds a bit of a a weird one but a bike in a physics department actually uh, has a lot you can do with it pressure um, forces uh, friction all sorts of things yeah, and a decent bike pump and a decent boyle's law apparatus the one in my youtube video with the shirt robin that has been around since God knows when. It's the oldest piece of kit I've ever used. It still works. Well, that explains the shirt, but what about the um, Boyle's Law apparatus? Yeah, I thank boom, you. Boom. It's on Thursday. <laughs> Tip your waiter. <laughs> oh, poor Peter hasn't got a word in. Anything, any other equipment to add, Peter, before before we draw a halt to this carnage? Oh, honestly, it's it's a hard one. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of money and it's a lot of responsibility. Um <laughs> I'll uh, yeah I'll, I'll I'll have a think about it and I'll uh, I'll tweet something out if I uh, if I have any thoughts. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go, Peter, Robin hates this slot. <laughs> I love it. I love. But when you retire, when you retire, retire. That's better. Uh, yes. Retire. When you retire, uh, what do you want? Or when you bump into little Joe in the street? Uh, who you taught 30 years before. What do you want her to have remembered about your physics teaching? Which demo or practical uh, would you like to be remembered for? I tell you what, this isn't the most interesting of practicals, but I love it just because of the the story, the the hinterland, if you will, that uh, that goes with it. Um, and it's the it's the density uh, experiment, uh, density required practical. And the reason I love it is just because of how you can relate it um, to um, Archimedes and uh, the story um, of uh, kind of how how he discovered to to calculate the uh, the density of a uh, of a, a supposedly gold crown. So the the story kind of goes um, that uh, the king of Syracuse, I think it is, um, commissioned a goldsmith to make a crown out of gold and he gave him a certain amount of gold and he's like right go away and do this and uh, there was trouble though there were there were rumors that were spreading um that the goldsmith had done this um but had cheated the king and had uh not used pure gold but had uh mixed uh the gold with cheaper silver and so uh, the king of Syracuse he tasked uh, he tasked um, Archimedes with um, finding out right no you have to um, tell me um, is this crown made of pure gold or not but there's there's one catch you can't um, you can't damage it you can't destroy it in any way and so Archimedes goes away he thinks about it a little bit and you know he gets in the bath one day and he and he realizes he realizes, wait, no, as I get in the bath, the level of the water goes up. So, of course, I can measure the volume of the crown like this. I can measure the mass of the crown, and I can therefore compare the density um, with uh, the density of pure gold. And as he did this, he shout out, Eureka, Eureka, I've got it. And, uh, you know, it, it then turned out that, indeed, the density of the crown was different to the density of pure gold, and the, and the goldsmith had cheated. So... 
I, I really, really love telling that story to, to students. And actually, for what's quite a, you know, fundamentally quite a dry, practical measure the volume, measure the mass, do a calculation, um, I, I find it really livens it up. I, I, I think it's, it, I think it's a great story. That's lovely, isn't it? And I, I could see actually that maybe with the fifty grand, you could, you could buy some little gold crowns. I mean, not made out of gold, obviously, but made out of a metal that you can then. <laughs> Listen, Robin, we've got fifty grand here. Let's go, let's go full hog and get some gold crowns. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, let's get our, our mini mot uh, for ten grand, and then we're sure we've got enough left <laughs> over for a class set of gold crowns. Yeah, no problem at all. Do you include the death of Archimedes when you tell the story of him, his sticky end? I don't. <laughs> no, I, I don't. To be fair, no, I don't. Because he was they, the Romans conquered Syracuse, didn't they? And they um, he, he refused to go with the soldier because he had to, was working on a problem, and the soldier killed him. He was killed because he was working on a, on a physics problem and didn't want to go and talk to the Roman general. And uh, pr- probably he would have had the same practical in memoriam as Peter, which is uh, goes to show, doesn't it? So <laughs> there you go. So it's the Archimedes slot from now on. <laughs> exactly. What have we learned from this? That the Archimedes story just adds a great deal of depth to that practical, and Peter should never visit Rome. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you for all you do, and thank you for all the what the resources you have shared. Uh, I promise not to ask you for the answers ever, uh, and if you're really lucky, I may even write you some if I if I use one of your your resources so thank you very much for your time tonight and, and thank you for your resources amazing thank you uh thank you very much and thank you for having me uh on today it's uh, it's been fantastic talking to you both uh, thanks peter it's been brilliant and thank you robin thanks thomas i'll catch you next week thank you for listening to the physics teaching podcast and special thanks this week to dr peter edmonds the podcast is presented by robin griffiths and me thomas wp and produced and edited by me thomas wp Don't forget to tell us how to spend Jonathan Shaw's £50,000. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next week.